we agree with all of heaven. You are worthy to be worshipped. You are good and loving and holy and just and righteous and true. Help us to remember that as we open up your word now. Please fill us with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're doing a sermon series here at Cornerstone Church through the book of Revelation. And if you're just joining us, yes, we're doing the whole book of Revelation. It'll take us, uh, oh, eight, nine months or so, and we're going we're gonna to walk through it all. We just finished chapter 5, and chapters 4 and 5, like I mentioned at the beginning of this worship service, are some of the highest pictures of worship that you will see in the entire Bible. I hope it has been good for your soul to, to join in with heaven and worship. We see that God is worthy. We see in those chapters that the Father and the Son are both worshipped. All on heaven, and and not just people in heaven, but it even says at the end of chapter 5, every creature in heaven and on earth join in the praise chorus. That's, That's eventually what is going to happen. Now, one of the ways I understand the book of Revelation is that heaven is God's plan A for us. So that scene of worship where the people are around the throne of God, that's where God wants us to be. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to rescue us from sin and death so that any who receive Jesus as Savior and Lord can be with Him in heaven, in the perfect place forever. That is God's plan A. Our response, like I just said, is to receive Jesus, to walk around with Him, and to worship God. But, If anyone rejects Jesus, there is a plan B. God has clearly told us ahead of time that there is eternal punishment for those who reject Jesus. Now again, let me be very clear. I believe that God would rather save us. Let me show you two verses in the Bible that show God's heart to save us. One from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. So this first one from Deuteronomy 30:19, this referred to the Old Covenant, so it's not a covenant that we live in right now, but yet it shows us God's heart. It says, this is God speaking to the people, says, I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. His heart's desire for them was that they would live life with him. And now let me show you one from the New Testament, and this is one that is in the covenant that we live in. 2 Peter 3.9, the second half of that verse says, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That is the heart of God, that we would surrender to Jesus Christ, give our lives to Him, and get to live with God forever. So in Revelation, we see that plan A before we see plan B. We saw chapters 1 through 5, five wonderful chapters of God guiding his people, telling them how to repent, and then showing, them, showing us an eternal picture of what it's like in heaven. That is plan A. But as we move on now into chapter 6, we see plan B. We see God's plan to bring judgment on the earth. And don't forget, plan A still stands. We can still repent and come to God and live with Him forever. But for those who reject, we see plan B. In fact, as we move into chapter 6, we see punishment and wrath. And punishment and wrath are a major theme of the book of Revelation from chapter 6 through chapter 20. So, brace yourself for it. We're going to be talking a fair amount about it 
over the next few months. But before we jump into this chapter then and talk about wrath, I want to ask a question. Is God really a God of wrath? Some people would like to suggest that no, God is not a God of wrath. God is a God of love. Other people pick up the Bible, start reading it, and, and see wrath in it and say, well, that's not the God that I want to serve. Other people look at what goes on in this world, war, sickness, death, terrible things that happen to children, and they say, can there really be a God of love in charge of all of this? Let's start with that idea of love. The Bible says that God is love. Uh, in the book of 1 John chapter 4, it's in there twice. God is love. Do you agree with that statement? Good. I hope so. I hope you passed the first test here. Okay. Uh, God loves us so much that he sent Jesus to die for our sins. God loves us so much that he gives us the Holy Spirit that we can walk around with him until we meet him face to face, until we go to that place where we can live with him forever. And I hope you know that love of God. And I recognize that we all probably struggle to feel that love of God at times, but I hope that you keep seeking God because you know that he is the God of love. But then let me ask you another question about God. The Bible also says that God is holy. Holiness, among other things, refers to the perfection of God. It, su it suggests that all that God does is good and right. So do you believe that about God? Do you believe that God is holy, that he is perfect, that whenever God acts as judge, that he is acting rightly? Now, perhaps at first, we might think that we would prefer a, a God who wouldn't judge a God who would be much more lenient. A God who would look down upon us and recognize that we are weak and that sometimes we mess up and perhaps we might think that we would want a God who would just simply look the other way in regard to our sin. A lot of people, I think, hope that God is like that. But as we dig deeper, we, we recognize something that we want even more than a God who would be lenient. We want justice. Think about this. Would we really want to live forever in a place where there is no justice handed down for the evils of this world? Would we really want to live forever with a God who looks at a person like Adolf Hitler and simply says to him, well, you did some pretty bad stuff down there, but no big deal. If, there is, if God is not holy, then there's no justice. And if there's no justice, then all we're left with is chaos. All we're left with would be an eternity where there is no distinction between good and evil. And let me ask you again, would you want to live in that place where evil is called good and good is called evil and there's, there's no distinction? God is holy. And because he is holy, he will not allow sin into his presence. And that is a very good deal for us. Well, for one, it's a good deal because we can be cleansed of our sin and then we get to live with God in a perfect place. And I think that that is a much better deal than to suggest a God who would just be ever lenient and, and never discern between good and evil. Now, because of this, because God is holy, that means that the answer to the question that I asked earlier is, yes, God is a God of wrath and punishment. But let me say a few words about punishment now. And first, as I just mentioned, punishment comes because God is holy. 
that, that some things do not measure up to God's perfect standard of holiness and there is punishment because God is perfect. But I, I, I left these two phrases up on the screen together because I wanted you to continue to think about them. God is love, God is holy. I once had a, a pastor, a, a mentor of mine, suggest that these two attributes are the two chief attributes of God. The two most important things about him are that he is love and he is holy. It's about eight years later after I heard this, and I'm still trying to figure out if I agree with it, but I think he was on to something. That as we look at the love and the holiness of God, we are looking at two of the chief attributes of God. And one of the things that we all need to know about the attributes of God is that he never sets aside one of his attributes to act according to a different one. So God is all of his attributes all of the time. So that means that when God is holy and when he's acting as judge, he is still the God of love. So punishment is actually meant to correct us and help us to get right with God. You might want to read Hebrews 12 on this topic. In that chapter, we're told that when God disciplines us, he's doing it for our good. Just like a father punishes his child here on earth to help him see what he's done wrong and to urge him to do what's right, so our Heavenly Father corrects us. And the goal in Hebrews 12 is that we would be trained by this and that we would reap a harvest of righteousness and peace. So I want to talk to the kids now. Okay, You kids, you don't have to uh, answer this question out loud or you don't have to raise your hand, but have your parents ever punished you? Have you kids ever been caught in the middle of doing something wrong? Like, um, now I know not you kids here, but I've heard of some kids in other places that sometimes are mean to their siblings or hit each other or kick each other or spit on each other. Have you ever been caught doing any of those things, kids? Have you ever not done your homework? Have you ever not cleaned your room when you were supposed to? Now, I was thinking about, we have some adult kids in this room, too, and uh, maybe some of you kids should come up here and tell us what kind of punishments you received. But, but kids, why is it that your parents punish you? Is it because they hate you? No. Do you know why your parents punish you? Because they know what's right. And, and when you do what's wrong, they're, they're saddened by it because they know that God has a better path for you, a better plan for you. So that punishment that you get when you have to go to your room or uh, wash the car, or I don't know what kind of punishments you kids get. Uh, I'd be curious to hear, but uh, you can tell me later. When they punish you, they're doing it to remind you that there is something better for you. Now let's think about punishment from God. It's the same way. And I would like to say this to you. All of you who are still alive, raise your hand if you're alive today. Okay? Raise your hand if you're listening. Okay? Um, if you're still alive and you're receiving punishment from God, repent and learn from it. He's giving it to you because He loves you. Because He doesn't want you to continue on the wrong path. Don't wait until it's too late. Eventually, near the end of the book of Revelation, we see the final act of God's wrath and punishment. In chapter 2015, it says, If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the place that God has designed as eternal punishment for Satan and his followers. I do not want you to go there. God has told us ahead of time that that is the final judgment. And at that moment, after that judgment, it will be too late. But right now, as you're still alive and as you're listening, it is not too late. And we need to hear this message then of the punishment that God has told us he will bring on the earth. 
So how do we get into that, into that book of life? Well, elsewhere in Revelation, it's called the Lamb's book of life. The Lamb is Jesus. So the way that we get into the Lamb's book of life is by belonging to the Lamb, belonging to Jesus, to put your faith in Him, to walk with Him. You see, amazingly, as we're talking about punishment here, Jesus took our punishment upon Himself. Our sin had separated us from God, and there was nothing that we could do to make it up to God, nothing we could do to pay off our debt. Jesus willingly took our sins upon himself and paid our punishment so that we do not have to. So that any who receive Jesus can have forgiveness and eternal life. So here's the awesome deal in regard to punishment. God allows our punishment to fall on Jesus. That is said so beautifully in Isaiah 53 verses 5 through 6. This is a prophecy about Jesus Christ, written hundreds of years before he was born. This is what God said he would do with our sins in regard to Jesus. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I like to say about these verses that the pronouns in here are beautifully mixed up. Usually in this world, your punishment falls on you. But God in his grace and mercy told us ahead of time that our punishment would fall on Jesus. And by that we are saved. May we be ever grateful for that. It's one of the things that makes Jesus worthy of praise. So I hope you know that this is God's heart to forgive. Even as we're talking about punishment, punishment comes as plan B. And God has told us many times in the Bible about punishment. Um, don't worry, I promise you we're going to get into Revelation 6 very soon. But I, I do want to just show you a few times in the Bible where it talks about punishment. Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, they were told not to eat of the, the fruit of the garden, uh, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They did it. What did God do? God banished them from the garden. Their fellowship with God was broken. Now, it wasn't broken beyond repair. Eventually, in Christ, it would be repaired. And, and even before that, they could have a, a measure of fellowship with God, but not like it was before. There was punishment there. They were, they were banned from the garden, from walking with God. Then as we move ahead into Genesis 15, it's the, the time where God promised to give the promised land to his people. But there were people that were already living in that land. So do you know what God said? He said he was going to wait for 400 years to bring his people into the promised land because the people in the promised land, their sin had not yet reached the full measure. You know what that means? God gave them 400 years to repent. 400 years worth of their sin being built up. But then when they didn't repent, God did bring punishment on them. Some people read that part of the Old Testament and they say, how could God do that to those innocent people? Well, those weren't innocent people. God gave them hundreds of years to repent, and they did not. So punishment came on them. So Israel got to go into the Promised Land. How did Israel do in the Promised Land? Not so great. For hundreds of years, they sinned and they fell short of God's standards. And what did God do? Eventually, he sent the northern tribes of Israel into exile in Assyria, and he sent the southern tribe of Judah into exile in Babylon. And in exile, they would have plenty of time to think about what they did wrong and repent. But even then, what did God say? If they were in exile and they repented, God would hear and would heal them. 
And God did bring them back. And then one more verse in the Bible I want to show you about punishment. In, this is in the New Testament, in John 3.36. It says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Two options there. Option A, believe in the Son, receive eternal life. Option B, wrath. God has been very clear about this in the Bible. So I hope you can see punishment and wrath is part of God's plan. It is his plan to take care of the injustices of this earth. But in the midst of all of that, he has made a beautiful plan that our punishment would fall on Jesus if we would put our faith in him. And in this way, God remains holy and loving. He doesn't just act in love and pretend that sin doesn't happen. Nor does he just act in justice and wipe out everybody on earth. He sent Jesus that we might love him and be cleansed and live with him forever. Okay, so let's get to Revelation then. Like I said, chapters 4 and 5 have to do with worship. That's how we're supposed to respond to God. That's part of plan A. But in chapters 6 through 20, God reveals another part of his plan. It has to do with wickedness. In chapter 5, we read of a scroll with seven seals on it. The only one worthy to open that scroll, those seals on the scroll, the only one worthy was Jesus. And in chapter 6, Jesus opened six of those seven seals. The, the seventh one waits until chapter 8 to be opened. So let's take a look at Revelation 6. And remember as we look into it that this is God's punishment on wickedness. Okay, chapter 6, Revelation chapter 6. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a, loud, in, in a voice like thunder, Come. I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make men slay each other. To him was given a large sword. When the Lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a day's wages, and three quarts of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. When the Lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red, and the stars in the sky fell to the earth as late figs dropped from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The sky receded like a scroll, rolling up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and every free man hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. 
They called to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? So as we look at verse 1, again, Jesus is the only one who is found who could open these seals. And he's called the Lamb in verse 1 because he was the sacrificial Lamb slain for our sins. And again, remember, this Lamb took our punishment so that we wouldn't have to. But when Jesus opened this first seal, a rider came out, riding on a white horse, came to conquer. Now, don't get this confused with chapter 19, where Jesus came on a white horse. I think that's a different horse. There are four riders in Revelation chapter 6, and and the first one maybe looks a little bit like what we see later in chapter 19. But overall, these four riders, they come and, and bring death. Jesus is the one who brings life. So I don't think that we should think that this rider here is Jesus. Uh, But let's move on to the second seal. In verses 3 and 4, that one is open. Another rider comes out, this one on a red horse. This one was given power to take peace from the earth and to make men slay each other. And it says he was given a sword. Now remember this word given. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. But let's go now to verses 5 and 6 where we see the third seal is open. And another rider comes out. And this one is on a black horse with a pair of scales in his hand. And when this rider comes out, famine comes with him. It is so much of a famine that it takes a whole day's wages to buy what amounts to just a little bit more than a loaf of bread. Can you imagine that? Think about what a loaf of bread costs right now and think about what you make in a day. So this is a pretty terrible famine that has come out. Then in verses 7 through 8, the fourth seal is opened. And another rider comes out, and this one is riding a pale horse. That word pale probably refers to the color of death. And the rider is named death, and Hades follows close behind. They were given power over a quarter of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. Now let me say a few words about these first four seals together. It's terrible punishment. It's death and destruction. But all of it happens underneath the watchful care of God. See, I told you to remember the word given. These riders only have authority to destroy and kill because they were given it. These riders are not all-powerful. Only God is all-powerful. And God is also all-wise. So in his wisdom, he has seen fit to allow these punishments to come on the earth. Let's move on to the fifth seal then. This one's quite a bit different. When this seal is open, we read of the souls who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. This refers to martyrs who, who were killed for their faith. They, they kept their faith in Christ and kept proclaiming his word as witnesses and they were killed for it. These martyrs asked God, the sovereign Lord, the holy and true one, to judge the wicked. And this brings us back again to this idea of justice. See, part of justice means giving punishment to those who deserve it. In Proverbs 28.5, I love this verse, it helps me understand things. It says, Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it fully. Now let me use an illustration here. It's a, it's a, a terrible illustration, but I think it will help you understand the point. If someone killed your mom or your friend and you found out who did it and the police got him, would you want that person to be punished? Yes. Or should we say, oh, let's just look the other way and pretend it's not that big of a deal? No. 
We understand justice. We understand that there is punishment for things that have gone wrong. So when these murders cry out to God, when are you going to avenge our blood? It's right for them to do that. They're asking God, the just judge, to take care of it. But in verse 11, God's answer is that he will give them white robes and then he tells them to wait a little longer because there are others like them who will still be killed as murderers. White robes in Revelation represent purity. And this is not a purity of our own. It's not like white robes are given to the people who, who did their best to live a pure life. The only way that we can have this kind of purity is through the blood of Jesus Christ. It'll mention later in Revelation how the, the robes are washed in the blood of the Lamb. And then these martyrs were told to wait because there are still more to be killed. Kind of a kind of a sad deal there, but that's the truth of it. There will be more killed for their testimony of Jesus Christ. God has a plan in mind, but for now he tells them to wait. Okay, now let me say a word about seals 1 through 5 together. In many ways, what we have read in these first five seals is very similar to what has been going on on earth for the last 2,000 years. Death, sword, famine, people being killed for their faith in Jesus Christ. Those things have been happening repeatedly for the last 2,000 years. So perhaps what we see in these seals is perhaps a more intense time of what's already been going on earth due to the wickedness on earth. We're told in Scripture, and I don't, I don't want to confuse you with this, but I think this is a helpful distinction for me. We're told in Scripture that we are already in the last days. Now, don't confuse that with the end times, but we're already in the last days. And what that means is that ever since Jesus died and rose again and went back up to heaven, we have been in the last days waiting for the time when Jesus will come again. So I, again, I'm not saying that we're already in the end times, but I am saying that we're in the last days, and the end times could be right around the corner. Or the end times might delay a little while longer. But nevertheless, we are in these last days where there's lots of death and famine and even martyrdom. We're also told in Scripture we don't know the time of Jesus' second coming. So all through this Revelation series, you will not hear me give a date. Okay? That will just want to assure you of that. We don't know when Jesus' second coming will be. But let's move on to the sixth seal for now. When that seal is opened, there's a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth and the whole moon turned blood red. Also the stars fell from the sky to the earth and the sky receded like a scroll. It even says that the mountains and islands were removed from their place. And I love this part. It reminds us that not even the mountains stand firm. Uh, God is the one who created the mountains. God can take them away. And by the way, this imagery that we see in, chapter, in verses 12 through 14, it's all over the other places in the Bible. Here's just a few. Isaiah 34, Joel 2, and Matthew 24. And as I've said before, the book of Revelation neatly ties up the entire Bible, wraps it all up. Okay, so this looks like a pretty intense time of punishment when these things start to happen. And as we move on to verses 15 to 17, the people of the earth, even the powerful and the wealthy, sought refuge in caves and mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. And there they're quoting from Hosea 10 and Luke 23. Again, this is just wrapping up all of what we see in the Bible. So the people of earth will try to hide from this punishment, but there is no hiding. 
And isn't it interesting in verse 16 that these people recognize where this is coming from? It's coming from God and from the Lamb. Although people may spend their whole lives rejecting God, when His final judgments come on the earth, there will be no atheists. There will only be people who recognize that God is bringing about punishment due to the wickedness that's on the earth. And then as we see in verse 17, the punishment is so severe that the people of the earth say, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? If God, who created the universe, is judging the universe, and not even the stars and the mountains can stand, then the people of earth are right to ask, who can stand? But you know what? There is an answer to that question. Who can stand? Jesus told us already in Luke 21, 36. Listen to what Jesus said. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. We can stand if Christ strengthens us to stand. Now let me say a word about this. I am not suggesting to you that we are promised that we will be able to evade all suffering. In fact, Jesus told us that we should expect suffering. But, if we're talking about the wrath of God, and especially if we're talking about the eternal wrath of God, which my view of Revelation is that this is, this is all leading up to the final wrath of God, we are told in the Bible that we can escape that wrath of God if we place our faith in Jesus Christ. Now, we may have to endure some things until that day comes, but we can stand if Jesus makes us stand. So that, we can take comfort in that. But for those who are not in Christ, it will be terrible punishment. Okay, so what's the point of Revelation 6? Why is God telling us these things about what he's going to do? Well, one thing that we should remember is that we live in a wicked world. I don't even need to tell you about it, because you all know. Every one of you understands the wickedness that goes on in this world and that it's not right. And as we think about the holiness of God, what we see going on in this world falls so short of it that God's response eventually is to bring punishment and wrath on this world. There are lots of things that are very well deserving of punishment and God has a plan for that. And in some ways that should bring us comfort that all these horrible things that we see, God sees them too, and he has a plan. But, even as we think about punishment and wrath, let's remember that God wants people to repent and to be saved. This punishment will continue through the book of Revelation, and in chapter 14, there's an angel who comes, and he urges the nations, saying, Fear God and give him glory. Even as God punishes, his heart's desire is that the lost would come home. And then one other thing we should know about Revelation 6, it's like what Jesus said in Luke 21, that we should be on the watch. We should be ready. We've been told what's coming. Let's be ready. So what does it mean for us to be ready? The simple answer is that we walk with Christ. That we have faith in Him. That we worship Him. That is plan A. That we would know Christ and walk with him, and live with him forever. And by the way, worship, like I've been saying repeatedly throughout this sermon series, it's not just the songs we sing, it's the lives that we live for him. It's not just what we do here on Sundays together, it's what you do as you go home. It's what you do as you go to work, or to school. 
It's, it's how you honor God with your free time. All of our lives should be spent in worship of God. That is part of plan A, that as God rescues us and as we wait for heaven, that we worship him now and walk around with him now. So we know that Jesus is coming again. What should we do until he comes again? We should live for him. We should tell others about him. We should warn people about the punishment that's coming. There will be horrible times that will come on the earth. But, but really, even as we warn others and as we think about this warning for ourselves, it's not really just an earthquake or a rider on a horse that we should be concerned about. We should be thinking about the eternal state of our souls and of the souls of those around us. We see punishment in Revelation 6. We see final judgment in Revelation 20. But the point of God telling us ahead of time is that we would be ready. So if you need to repent, repent. If there are any of you in here who are wondering which side of that final battle you'll be on, please know that God's invitation for you is to come to him, to receive Jesus Christ. And if you have not yet received him, I would urge you to do that now. We don't know when he is coming again, and you don't want to be on the wrong side of that battle. The Bible tells us there will be a day when it's too late. We need to be ready. We don't know when he's coming, but we know that he is coming. Let's walk with him now. And then let me close by reminding you of what Jesus said to us about being ready. Uh, I've picked out some verses from Matthew 24. I'll start with verse 42, where Jesus said, Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. And then verses 45 to 46, Jesus uses an illustration. He says, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Let's be servants of God who are ready for him to come. In this illustration, God has given us a job to do. We're in his house. We are to serve him, to serve his other servants. And we are to be faithfully doing that until he comes again. Now, like I said, we don't know when he's coming, but we know that he is coming. And what we also know is that God has prepared good things for us to do. Every single one of us. God has prepared good works for us to walk around in. Let's be faithfully about the business of doing those works for God, again, by faith, as we wait for him to come. Let's worship him with the way that we live our lives, on a Sunday morning and on a Tuesday, on a Thursday night when things get difficult, whenever it is for you that it's difficult, remember that God is there to strengthen you. We are to be ready. Servants of God who wait for Jesus to come again, walking by faith, worshiping God now and forever. Will you pray with me? God, we're grateful that you've told this to us ahead of time, that there is punishment that will come on the wicked. And God, we thank you that even though uh, our sins were terrible, that you forgive them in Jesus Christ. And God, if there are any in here yet who have not yet come to Jesus for forgiveness, we just come before you now and admit our sin and ask for forgiveness and pray to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. God, for those of us who know you, we know that Jesus is coming again. We pray that you would strengthen us to be faithful to be watchful and ready as we wait. Help us to be about the business of doing the things that you have for us to do as we worship you, as we walk by faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.